Uh, Luke 1 this morning, kind of a lengthy passage, will be in verses 5 through 37. Luke 1, 5 through 37, and let's pray as we begin. Lord, you promised to use your word, which is truth, to speak to us, to reveal yourself to us, to correct us, reprove us, exhort us, encourage us, instruct us in righteousness. I pray that the passage we look at this morning from Luke's gospel that your spirit would take and help each one of us hear just the words you have for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. We looked at, I think it was Luke 2, last time I taught, uh, two weeks ago, and we're kind of backing up. We looked at the shepherds and the birth of Jesus and the angels and the and all that, the great Christmas story. We're backing up today. We're going to the announcements of a couple births in today's scripture. And I'm just going to read through this. It's a lengthy passage. We'll make some comments as we go. Then we'll go back through and highlight a few things. So hopefully a section of scripture you're all pretty well familiar with. Starting at verse 5, Luke tells us, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, And remember, Judea is just one part of a big Roman Empire. And Herod is a little king under the great king Augustus. He's ruling Judea. So under Herod's reign, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. If you look up in your Old Testament, there's 24 divisions of priests. And remember, you remember this, this is all old stuff, but Levi, one of the 12 patriarchs, one of his descendants is Aaron. And under the Mosaic economy, only the sons of Aaron can be priests. The rest of the Levites, they serve at the temple, but they're not priests. And under the sons of Aaron, there's 24 fathers, which created 24 divisions of priesthood. And these guys would take turns. They would go, I think it's twice a year, and they'd serve at the temple. So they they would take their course, their turn, as it came up every year. Twice a year. Same thing with the singers and the gatekeepers. Everybody was under a, an organization. So they're plugged in. They come in when it's their turn to do so. So his father, his patriarch, was Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron also. Her name was Elizabeth. So we've got Zach and Liz. It says Luke's comment on them and God's comment on them is that they were both righteous in the sight of God. They walked blamelessly in the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So this was a godly couple. Verse 7, but, big word here, but, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. So they're old or older. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, taking his turn, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. You remember, with the priesthood, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and that only happened once a year. But other priests had to come into the second place. The Ark of the Covenant's in the Holy of Holies, and there's the holy place, and we've got the temple where the bread's put, the part of the temple, and we've got the menorah, the candle, the light, and we've got the incense. And so... This is the only time in his life that he would go into the temple. These priests only did this once. And their turn came when the lot fell to them. So this is the one time in his life that he's going to go into the temple. He's not a high priest. He won't ever go into the Holy of Holies. And it's the one time he'll enter the place where the incense and the bread and the candlestick are. Chosen by lot 
to go in this day and burn incense. Verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. This is probably the afternoon. They did this twice a day. Verse 11, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. John the Baptist, as we know him, is a Nazarite. He never takes anything from the vine. You can read about this in the Old Testament as well. Verse 17, it says, He is the one who will go as a forerunner before him. And the hymn ties back to the last sentence, The Lord their God will go before the Lord their God in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I'll try and remember to comment on this later, but you remember Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, written 400 years earlier, one of the last prophecies made, is that before the Messiah came, Elijah would return, and he would turn the hearts of fathers back towards their children. There's clearly a separation. It's not a good thing. And he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Isaiah talks about this also. So the angel tells Zach, your son, he's the one that Malachi talked about. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? I think he's saying you've got to be kidding. How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. We're too old for this. You're too late, bud. Your, your chance was here to give us children and it's too late now. The angel answered and said to him, and I don't know if angels can be uh, offended. I'm not sure what I should, I'm not sure what emotion we should hear when Gabriel says, maybe he's saying, I am Gabriel, bud. Clue in. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. This is going to happen, Zacharias. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time you don't buy it right now that's okay it's still going to happen God's declared it from heaven well outside the people were waiting for Zacharias and they're wondering at the delay in the temple what's taking him so long what's happened when he came out he was unable to speak and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he was making signs to them but remained mute so he can't talk and he's trying to all of a sudden, with his hands, probably talk the way my wife does, you know. <laughs> when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. Remember, he's just in Jerusalem just to serve his time during his regularly scheduled time to be there, and then he goes home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, did become pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying... This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Six months later now, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, six months from what we just read about, 
the angel Gabriel, same angel, sent from God, sent from God again to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. So six months earlier, down in Jerusalem in the south, six months later now, appearing to Mary up in the north in Nazareth in Galilee. To a virgin, the angel appears, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was perplexed or confused at this statement and kept wondering what kind of greeting this was. What does this mean? Not only who is here and why, but what does this mean? The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Second message, second declaration of a second birth. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Mary says to the angel, you remember Zechariah, the angel speaks, Zechariah responds. Here Gabriel speaks, Mary responds, and she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now apparently she's not disbelieving. She says, well, okay, I, I take it your word, I'm going to become pregnant, but how is this thing going to happen since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. God himself is going to bring this thing about. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. And this is our key verse for this morning. For nothing will be impossible to God. Or for with God, nothing is impossible Go back to verse 6 and 7. We'll talk about this. Uh, we'll look at Zach and Liz here first. Remember at verse 6 and 7, this says, Luke's and God's description of Zacharias and Elizabeth is that they were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments. We would say they were believers in right relationship with God, doing the things God asked them to do. So these would have been great examples for you or I to know, these folks. They were godly people. They weren't religious hypocrites. Godly people honoring God in their lives. This is who they are. Godly people. Yet, these godly people have no child. These godly people obeying God don't have one of the, probably the, the most important thing that they wanted in life. They don't have. They don't have any child. And they're old. Um, if they're like you and I, uh, they probably went to God at some point along this, this life's trail for them and said, God, is there something we're doing? Are you withholding good from us? Are you withholding kids from us? What are we doing wrong? Why can't we have kids? And I think, you know, for you and I, oftentimes something hard comes into our life. We have something we don't want. We don't have something we do want. And we talk to the Lord about it, and it doesn't seem to change. And sometimes we think, Lord, am I being disciplined here? Is this a judgment from you? Are you withholding, or do I have this pain or frustration in my life because I've done something wrong? And you know, that's, that's a good place to start if you've got a trial in your life to ask God, Lord, is there something I need to know here? Are you talking to me? Are you addressing an issue in my life through this painful circumstance? 
good place to start. And you know, if that's the issue, if you've got a difficulty in your life that is the result of some place of disobedience that God wants to address, if that's the case, God will let you know. You won't have to kind of grope in the dark. If you go to the Lord and say, Lord, do you have something with me? Do I need to get right with you in some area? He will let you know. And his spirit will let you know this is the issue. As you read the word, as you talk with others, he'll let you know. If he doesn't, don't grope in the dark and don't keep thinking, well, maybe I've done something wrong. Zach and Liz hadn't done anything wrong. And they had this terrible pain in their life of no children. Remember, it says, Elizabeth says, there's shame. I feel shame all my life because I've had no kids. But God's description of them is they're righteous. They please me. They're right where they belong. But they still had this very difficult area in their life, <coughs> frustrating, saddening, heartbreaking area in their life. Wasn't the result of sin, though. In your life and mine, it's a good idea to go and ask the Lord, Lord, is there something you're wanting to address? And if he doesn't let us know, then, then assume he's a good father. If there's an issue, he'll let you know. If he doesn't, then go on. Just continue to be faithful in the areas you know he's calling you to be faithful in. And I think it's good to remember, you know, sometimes we have difficulties in our life just because we are sinners in a sin-cursed world. And stuff happens on this earth. Things are not the way they ought to be on this earth, in this life. And sometimes bad things happen. That's, and that's just the way it is. And other times, as in this story, there's pain, there's frustration, there's lack, but only because God wants to fulfill a desire or answer a prayer in a larger way than those folks involved had in mind. Sometimes God has an answer that's bigger, better, and more important than the people involved had in mind when they asked and prayed. And that, that is the case here. Look at verse 8 and 9. Uh, this is just routine stuff. It says, It happened. It just happened in verse 8, that while he was performing his priestly service. What's Zachariah doing? He's just doing what he's supposed to. He's going down to Jerusalem when it's his turn. You know what? He has no clue. He has no idea that God's going to interrupt his life. He has no idea what God's timetable for Israel is. Zechariah, he's just doing what he's supposed to do. He's going down to Jerusalem when it's his turn to do it. He's serving at the temple when it's his turn to do it. In fact, even when you look at the law, he didn't even control when he went into the holy place. The one time in his life, he didn't choose this. He wasn't thinking, I'm going to go see God today. The lot that Proverbs says God controls, God dictated when Zechariah was going to end up lighting the incense, offering the incense in the temple. Zechariah did. He's just this guy who's honoring God in his life going about the things God had put in his life for him to do, and he's just being faithful where God has him. This is pretty simple. I mean, you and I can do this. Wherever we're at, to just be faithful to the people and in the ways God has plugged us in. That's all he's doing. That's all he's doing. He doesn't know God's going to invade his world and change his life, his wife's life, and really Israel's future with the fulfillment of this son. I'd say for you and I, you know, sometimes we get great big plans in our mind. We're going to do something 
Uh, it's going to work out like A, B, C, and God, this is the way I think you should put these pieces together. And, and you know, very rarely do you and I have this kind of foreknotice that God's going to do something. Very rarely do you and I put some plan together that actually is what God intends to do. But as we do go about the normal things he's given us to do, as we go to work in the morning, as we talk with our spouse at night, as we pray for our friends, all the regular things, as we do the dishes, uh, God is sovereignly at work and he will accomplish his plans. We just need to be faithful right where he's put us. Look at verse 13. I love this part of the passage. The angel tells Zach, he says, your petition has been heard. Your wife will bear a son. Your petition has been heard. Your wife will bear a son. Now, put this in context and think through this with me for just a minute. Your petition's been heard. Your wife's going to have a son. We've just been told, and Zechariah reminds the angel, we're too old to have kids. Let's just say... For discussion's sake, that Zechariah is 70 and his wife is 60. It said originally she was barren, and now they're too old. So here's the angel saying, you're going to have a son. Your petition's been heard. I wonder what petition he's talking about. Let's just roll back the pages a few years. Let's just say that they got married when she was 15 and he was 25. This is just broad numbers for discussion's sake, but to make the point. He's 25, she's 15, about a normal age for them to get married in this time. They get married, you know what they expect? They expect to have children right away. This was the hope and the dream, the fulfillment of Jewish life, was to have kids. So they get married, and their first year of marriage goes by, and nothing, nothing happens. And maybe, you know, well, we'll keep trying. And two years go by. And maybe their concern starts to raise just a little bit. Maybe they start praying in that second year. Lord, please help us get pregnant. And then the third year goes by. And then ten years go by. And we've probably all known people like this. And maybe you've been one of these people who you want something desperately. And initially you just think it's going to happen. And then it doesn't. And you know, you move sometimes from, from hope. And, and then sometimes there's... <coughs> There's anxiety, and there's worry, and then there's discouragement, sadness, anger, frustration. And you know, somewhere down the line, there's resignation, most often. So let's just say Zach is 70, started praying when he was around 25. I wonder how many years ago he had made this petition. I wonder how many times this petition had been made. And I wonder how many years prior to the declaration of this day, they quit praying. They gave up hope. They figured they were going to die childless. Because he tells them, it's too late for us to have a son. Angel, you don't get it, Gabriel. <coughs> too late. It's come too late. So I am I'm fascinated and intrigued by this thing. It's you know, for God, he dwells outside of time. I mean, he interacts with us in time, but he's not constrained by it. And you know, you've got the passage in Peter about a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And the angel says, you know that petition you, you made? It's answered. 
And, and this prayer had been made who knows how many times for who knows how many years and who knows how many years ago it had been given up. But long past the time Zacharias and Elizabeth thought or hoped that God would answer their prayer for a child, suddenly God says, you got it. I'm granting your petition. It was well past the time they thought they might, that God might answer their prayer, and now he does. And more than that, they're not just going to have a son, but the baby they're going to have is the one God had predicted, prophesied, promised would come in Malachi. This isn't just any son. This promised son declared by the angel is going to be the one who, re who uh, returns the hearts of the fathers in Israel to the children and who prepares the way for Israel's Messiah to come. Uh, this is interesting. This whole passage is interesting. If you throw the, the dynamics of this back a couple thousand years, this is almost identical to Abraham and Sarah. You remember? Wanted a child begged for a child, couldn't have it, and then when they think it's way too too far gone for them to have children, God sends an angel, the angel of the Lord himself promises them a child. Same thing. It's interesting that oftentimes, you know, we said earlier, God doesn't just withhold the answer to a prayer. Sometimes he withholds it because he has something bigger or better in mind. And when he wants to accomplish his purposes, it's not unusual that he doesn't answer these prayers at the time we think is convenient, but he waits until you and I think it's too late, and now it's impossible for God to do what we thought he would do because, Lord, it's just too late. You waited too long. The circumstances have changed. We're too old, etc., etc., etc. And you know the point is, everything God does is supernatural. Every time he intervenes in your life or mine, supernatural in the sense that it's not the normal working or cause and effect of nature itself, the course of life as it normally proceeds on this earth. But everything God does is supernatural. So that if God is going to do something in your life or mine, it doesn't depend on your ability or mine. It depends on God and his abilities. And so oftentimes, I think kind of the joke's on us, isn't it? That God waits until we think it's too late, and that's when he steps in and says, now I'm going to do that thing. So that when I do you'll know this isn't just life as usual. This is a sovereign God intervening his will into your life and mine, and it's something only God could do. And that's what's going on in their life here. Well, Zach's response is uh, predictable, I think, isn't it? He says, you're too late. You've got to be kidding. This can't happen. I'm too old and she's barren anyway and has been. And so he gets this judgment. I think this is interesting. He can't talk for nine months. I don't know. Maybe this was a blessing to Liz for nine months. <laughs> she can't hear Zach. I don't know. Uh, but he doesn't believe it. And what I like about this is, this is no different than Abraham's response. You remember Abraham, the father of faith? Abraham is the father of faith. Abraham's example in the, the book of Romans of the faithful one but do you remember how he responded in Genesis account when God says, Sarah will have a son? Do you remember what he does? He laughs. He falls on his face, and he says, bless Ishmael. Why? Because he knows Sarah can't have children. This is the same thing. Zechariah is no different than Abraham. And just as in the case of Abraham, you know what? His lack of faith here makes how much difference in God's program? It makes none. 
The angel says, you're not going to be able to speak. It's kind of a sign that you should have believed and you didn't. But guess what? What I said is still going to happen, just as I said it would. How did he say that? Uh, the verse says, uh, uh, where is it? I've lost my place. Oh, well. Is it 20? Behold, you be silent because you do not believe. Which will be fulfilled in their proper time. It's going to happen. And you're not going to be able to talk about it until it does, but it's still going to happen. And I love the fact that when God plans to do something, when our good God plans to do something good in your life or mine or in the world, it doesn't depend on you and I being up to the task or up to the faithfulness standard even. When he says he's going to do something, it depends on him, not on you and I. He may use you and I as he used Zacharias. Uh, Elizabeth got pregnant with Zechariah's help. She wasn't the virgin. They were still active in God's plan, but it couldn't happen apart from God. God used them, but it was God's doing. And that's true in your life and mine. There are things God wants to accomplish in your life and mine and through you and I that only he can do. And even if we're not faithful the way we should be, you know what? God's sovereign purposes are still going to be accommodated. He's still going to bring those things to pass. That encourages me. Switch gears and talking about Mary up north, six months later. We had the announcement from the angel of a son being born to people who are too old and a woman who's barren, infertile, uh, in Jerusalem six months earlier. Now here's the angel talking to Mary, a virgin, never had sex, never known a man intimately, can't be pregnant and in this state can't get pregnant. And here's the angel saying another impossible birth is going to happen. And in Mary's case, you know, Zach had a lot to swallow. Liz is barren, we're both too old, and now we're gonna have children. That was hard to swallow. It'd be hard for me or you. Here, Mary is a virgin, and she's told she's gonna have a boy even though she's never known a man. And not only that, but the son she's going to have is gonna be the Messiah promised by Moses, promised through all the prophets, right up to Malachi 400 years earlier, and really if you stretch it back, promised in Genesis 3, 2,000 better than that years earlier. The promised seed of Abraham 2,000 years earlier, the promised seed of Eve that would crush the serpent's head in Genesis 4,000 years or so prior to that. This is a lot for her to swallow. I'm going to have a baby, okay? And I've never known a man intimately. Okay. And he's the one God promised in Genesis 3 and through Moses and through all the prophets and through Malachi. That's the one I'm having. This would be a lot to swallow. But she believes it, doesn't she? And, and to her credit, it doesn't say she stumbled in unbelief. She believed. And when she asks the question, she's not saying this can't happen. She's just saying, well, how will this happen? Because the natural course of things hasn't taken place. I can't have a, a child in a natural way. I haven't known a man. But the angel tells her this will be God's son and it will be his doing. And in the end, the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. When God undertakes a thing, nothing is impossible. Remember in Job 42, Job says of God, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nothing that God plans to do or declares to do, nothing can stop it from happening. No, how, no matter how impossible it looks, 
Anything God has said is going to happen is going to happen. And it won't depend on you or me specifically or our faithfulness. It will depend on God and his power and his faithfulness. So for Zach and Liz, their old age doesn't thwart God's purpose. And her barrenness doesn't thwart God's purposes. And in Mary's case, her virginity doesn't thwart God's purposes. And in fact, when we read these passages, we understand that the impossibility is a vital part of the story, don't we? God wanted this woman who couldn't under natural means have a baby. This was proof that this was God at work. And for Liz and Zach, this promised baby, son, child, to these people who are too old to have is just like the promise to Abraham. This couldn't have happened any other way but from God. That when God ordains to do a thing with God, nothing is impossible. <clears throat> I think it's important because this is kind of an exceptional passage. I want to talk about application in a minute, but it's important to remember that Luke is telling the story about the redemption of mankind and, and Israel's salvation. And so in this sense, Zach and Liz's story and Mary's story are quite ex exceptional, aren't they? Because they stand in this line of God's purpose to save the world and to bless Israel. In other words, they're part of a much bigger program. So their petitions over the course of their life for a child was answered when God wanted to answer it to fulfill a bigger purpose. As a piece in the larger puzzle, not just of their life, but of his plan for the world. So they hear that their child is the fulfillment of Malachi. He's going to come like Elijah. He's the one Isaiah talked about that's the voice in the wilderness. So when God answers their prayer, God's answer is for their life specifically is part of a much, much bigger picture. They fit into God's program. And for Mary, the same thing is true. That for her, this child isn't just any child. It's not just having a son. But you remember it tells us that Joseph is a descendant of David. Why is that important? Why do we learn in Matthew and Luke that both Mary and Joseph were descendants of David? Because the Messiah has to come from David's line. The Messiah has to be a descendant of David. So that Mary, the promise to Mary, this is part of a, a grander plan. It's part of a bigger puzzle. It's not just her little life in Galilee. This Nazareth is just a backwood part of uh, Israel. It's a despised part up in the north. And she's just this young, unknown girl betrothed to an unknown carpenter. But it's God's plan that's at work behind the scenes. So both of them, both of these situations, these families, are caught up into this whirlpool, if you will, which is all designed to bring about God's purposes. Not just to make their lives happy, but they're small parts, they're cogs, as it were, in the big thing God wants to do in the earth. So we've got two impossible births and God sovereignly at work. It's good to remind ourselves age doesn't hinder God's work too much. Zach and Elizabeth are too little in Mary. Uh, whatever you and I lack, it doesn't stop God's work. So your lack or my lack of good looks, money, success, intelligence, stature, position, think of anything you want, 
Nothing you or I have or lack stops God's work from being accomplished. Nothing you or I have or don't have stops God's plans from coming to pass. In fact, you remember that, remember from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, Paul says, by his doing you're in Christ, and Christ has been made all these things to you. In other words, God has put you where you're at. God has made Christ to you sanctification and righteousness. Or in uh, 2 Corinthians, I think it's 12, when Paul's crying out to God to relieve him of this difficulty in his life, he says, a, uh, a uh, thorn in the flesh. He petitions God, God says, no, Paul, I'm not taking away. Well, why not, Lord? Well, because my power is perfected in weakness. So then Paul says, well, then when I'm weak, I'm strong. In other words, in my area of lack, God's strength comes in. So Paul says, then I'll boast in my weakness because I know that it's in the areas that I lack that God's strength will be made known or will be made manifest. And that's the attitude you and I ought to have. When we think that we can accomplish things in our own strength, we're heading for a fall. We're heading for a fall. You got all these passages in the scripture that talks about if you want to boast in something, don't boast in your abilities. Uh, boast in God. Uh, Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 9, says, uh, Don't let the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the wealthy man boast in his wealth, or the strong man in his strength, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands I'm God. That's the beginning and the end. Or if you're a Christian and you think, Hey, I'm going to heaven, you know what your boast should be? Your boast should be in the Lord. Lord, thanks for saving me. I'm no different than anyone else. Whatever it is in life, God, this omniscient, omnipotent God, he reaches down. And through your lack and mine, he accomplishes his purposes so it's clear it's his work, not ours. And in the end, we boast in our weakness because that's where God comes in. God gets all the glory and we get the blessing. That's the way it should be. I wonder, this Christmas season, we're reading about two impossible births, I wonder what uh, place we hold, you hold, I hold, in God's plans to bless and work in this world. I wonder in what line of promises you and I stand in God accomplishing his purpose in this world. Just think about this. All Zacharias was doing was doing his job. There was nothing glamorous about it. He was just going about the normal course of his life, doing what God asked him to do, and God intervened and used him. And Mary wasn't sitting there, I assume, thinking about grand heavenly schemes when the angel comes to her and says, God's going to do something with you. And you and I, we don't need to develop grand, grand plans and schemes and figure it all out. You know, if you and I will just be faithful right where we're at and allow God to use us right where we're at, that's when he'll bring his promises to pass. That's when the sovereign God will intervene in your life and mine and bring his plans to pass. Um, how many here have seen the new movie, The Lord of the Rings? How many went opening day? Okay. <laughs> we did too. Um, Tolkien's books are making a huge comeback. You know, they're on the bestseller list now again. It's because of the movie. They've been bestsellers, or they've certainly sold steadily for 40 years or so. Um, the end of the first book, that's not part of the movies, but The Hobbit has a great, great passage, and I'm going to read it. I think we've actually read it before in our group, but I'll read it again this morning, but 
If you don't know the story, the little Bilbo Baggins, this little hobbit, this little insignificant guy from an insignificant part of the world, gets caught up in the whirlpool and adventure of slaying a dragon and recovering hidden wealth and restoring the people to their, their homes and their towns and the dwarves being restored and all this great stuff coming to pass all hinges on the activities around this little fellow's life. And he's a guy who likes home and comfort and is just going about his normal routine life when somebody taps on his door and says, I've got a job for you. And his life is turned upside down and inside out and he's in uncomfortable situations and he's in dangerous peril and out of it all, all this good stuff happens. And when he's safe home and he's talking with his good buddy Gandalf and he's reflecting on all the adventures and all the dangers and all the things that have happened, this is what he said. Then the prophecies of the old songs have turned out to be true after all, after a passion, said Bilbo. Of course, said Gandalf, and why should not they prove true? Surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself. You don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck, just for your sole benefit? You're a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I'm very fond of you, but you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. Thank goodness, said Bilbo, laughing. See, that's you and I. We're just, we're just guys. We're just little Bilbo Baggins in our little corners of the world. And when God wants to, he's going to come in and shake up our world and shake up our life because he's accomplishing something. And we just we need to go about our tea hour and our work and, and all the, the routine normal things because we don't know how God's going to, going to accomplish his purposes. And you know what? We don't need to worry about it. God's sovereignly at work. He's sovereignly at work. He just has to be faithful where you're at and keep going. And I want to say one thing, too, before we close in prayer about this. You know, Zach and Liz are good reminders to us that we all have pain and heartache and areas in our life that we want God to interact in. We, have, we want him to come in and, and deliver or provide. And we end with this verse that says, for with God nothing is impossible. I said this is an exceptional passage because it's God fulfilling these messianic prophecies, and, and it is. Um, but I think we should take to heart this thought that we want to take the impossible situations in our life and we want to give them to God in prayer just the way Zach and Liz have done. I say I want to be careful in this because God's promised a lot of things, but sometimes our expectations and God's promises don't exactly line up. And sometimes we can take what we call our impossible situations to God and we expect or hope or presume he's going to fulfill them a particular way, and he may not. We don't always know God's will. Jesus in the garden says, Lord, this is what I want. Take this cup from me, if you will, if there's any other way, but not my will, yours be done. We can always end with that. We can always end with that. But take those impossible situations you have to God and ask him to intervene as it pleases him. So whatever impossible situations you're facing, I don't know what that might be. All of us have pain. All of us have frustration in our life, either from what's in our life or from what's not. It's a given. 
But take those things to the Lord in prayer. He is the one who has power to intervene. And often he does. Whether he does or not, or whether he does in the way we wanted or expected, we can still trust him. And you know, at Christmas time, it's a good time to remember Romans 8, I think it's 32. Paul says that if God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, then he'll withhold no good thing. So when we're thinking about Jesus coming into the world, that God is the great gift giver and that he gives you and I and he gives the world his son, the most precious thing he could give, that's the season, that's what we're thinking about, that's the passage we're actually looking at, God's giving us the gift of his son. If he's done that, Paul says, then you can be assured he's not going to withhold any good thing from you. So if it's good, if it's really in your best interest in mind, you know what? God's going to do it. He's proven it because he hasn't withheld his son. If he's given us <coughs> the most costly gift he could ever give, not just in the incarnation, but much more in the crucifixion and burial and then resurrection. If he gave us Jesus, he's not going to withhold anything good from us. And whether it's in this life or in eternity to come, we've got a God who's loved us so vastly, so greatly, in such an unlimited fashion that he gave us a son. He's going to bless us beyond our imagination. So that even if your prayers and mine aren't answered in this life the way we'd like them to be, you can rest assured in eternity God has a bigger provision, a grander plan, a grander scheme than you or I have in mind now. <coughs> so take your possible needs to God, be faithful in the things you're doing, and just allow God to use you where you're at the way he sees fit to accomplish his purposes. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, a God that is utterly faithful. Father, we thank you that our dad is one who has only our best in mind, that you've proven that in giving your own son, the son of your love, the son of your right hand, the one you delighted in fully that you not only gave him in the incarnation in the past we read about this morning, but Lord, you gave him in death. For you and he were separated as he became sin on our behalf to accomplish redemption and to bring us brothers and sisters home with him to your house. Father, help us to give you the areas in our life that are uncomfortable and painful, frustrating, Help us to look to you to use us in the ways that you see fit to accomplish your purposes. Lord, help us to delight in you this Christmas and to find our delight solely and ultimately in you. Help us to be a blessing to those around us the way you are to us by giving. Thanks that we can rest our hopes in the impossible areas of our life with you. Thanks that you answer our petitions bigger and better than we can ask. We praise you, Lord, for Jesus, and it's in his name.